normally I don't bring people back so quickly as guests because it's more evergreen and we want it. But this is we're right in the middle of something I'm very worried about. And I wanna, what I want to do is a gut check with you. We uh, we talked four weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we talked about a nuclear war scenario. It seems to me events are bringing us closer to that, not further away. And so that's what we want to talk about. That's going to be, in a sense, a part two to our last conversation. So if you could just, I'm going to want you to bring us up to date with where you think we are and what we ought to be telling our, our political class to do. Sure. There are uh, developments on our side that are extremely disturbing. And uh, yeah, where the Biden administration seems to be clueless about major decisions like canceling the B-83 bomb, which is our most powerful nuclear weapon, and also terminating the Slickham N, which is our uh, the other end of, their, of, of our deterrent spectrum, is, was, would have been the best tactical nuclear weapon, uh, well, right I in the middle of a nuclear crisis with Russia. Uh, you combine that with his uh, keeping our forces at their lowest readiness level, DEFCON 5, and canceling Minuteman ICBM test launches. It, it, it's showing a profound fear. I mean, he's playing right into the uh, convincing the Russians that uh, that not only can the United States be nuclear blackmailed, but Biden personally really believes you can't fight and win a nuclear war. And he probably can't because of his uh, his values and his views. OK, uh, that's going to I'm going to jump. I'm going to I'm going to start our show because you're seeing interesting everything we want. What we're going to be covering, of course, this is going to be. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, about three or four weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry on the show to talk about sort of the most troubling conversation you can have, which is nuclear war. And I titled that episode a nuclear war scenario. Well, it, it seems like events have brought us maybe closer to that scenario than we were even three weeks ago. And so I've asked Peter to rejoin to, to talk about where we are and where what we can be doing now to, to head off what I think could be a nuclear cataclysm. Uh, to remind, uh, Peter is executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security, and he served as chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission and director of the U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum. And he, he put out a piece we, we recently called The Nuclear Crisis Nobody Knows. Peter, welcome back. Well, thank you so much for having me to talk about this uh, grave subject matter. So just to sort of frame it from a layman's perspective, we talked about Putin and we were, I, we were worried last time about a, a Putin cornered as a more dangerous Putin. And the conventional war, by, by all reporting, now, of course, you don't really know what the reporting is or whether it's accurate, is that it's not going all that well conventionally. And that the U.S. ought to be talking to Putin about, well, look, why don't we stand down and broker a peace here and, and, and de-escalate this? Instead, we've got Joe Biden, you know, he goes to Poland and 
It first calls, uh, I can't remember what he called Putin in Poland, but most recently he talked about uh, genocide, which is sort of the ultimate, uh, ultimate uh, lowering of the gauntlet. And then, uh, and then I also read today that the Pentagon is escalating the number of weapons they plan to seem to Ukraine. So just at the time we ought to be taking some of the temperature down under the pot, we're turning it up. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I agree with you that, uh, that we should be cautious about what we believe, about what we're being told in Ukraine and about the performance of the Russian army. But if we do take at face value what we're being told every night by, the, uh, by all of the media and by political and uh, analysts on both sides of the political aisle, uh, then Russia is on the ropes. Russia every day is doing worse and worse in Ukraine. Looks like it could lose the Ukraine war. They're claiming that Putin could fall from power as a consequence of that, which means that Putin's life would be at risk because if he falls from power, he and the elites who support him and his family could be executed. And that means that he will do anything necessary to not fall from power, uh, and uh, uh, including rolling the nuclear dice, because the greatest thing that Putin has going for him is that Russia has a vast preponderance over the United States in the numbers and modernity of their nuclear weapons. and. Uh, uh, and then their capabilities to prosecute a nuclear war. And they believe in the possibility of winning a nuclear war. It's in their military doctrine. They practiced it uh, for decades. Uh, that's why Putin, as we speak, is in one of his deep underground shelters that's pretty much impervious to nuclear attack with his general staff. Uh, and his forces are still on, on, on high alert. They have not de-escalated uh, from that high alert, uh, despite what our, uh, our intelligence people say, they say they see no evidence of that. Well, they wouldn't, you know, because the Russian strategic posture is very different from ours. And they are postured in such a way that they can launch most of their forces in just a few minutes without giving any telegraphing, any messages uh, to us, because most of their, their warheads are on uh, ICBMs, which are multiple warhead missiles. And even their submarine ballistic missiles carry ICBM warheads. Uh, so most of these could be launched in a matter of a few minutes. Why? And, why is no? Why is nobody talking about the nuclear scenario? You know, it seems to me night after night you look at the coverage on TV and in the newspaper. Of course, it's the Washington Post and New York Times, but nobody seems to be gaming this out as to a cornered Putin as a dangerous Putin. Nobody seems to be concerned about this. Why are you and and why am? I so concerned, and nobody else seems to think that's a likely option. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the first and most obvious is that uh, uh, the White House doesn't want the American people to believe that there is a elevated threat of nuclear war from Russia, because this would reflect very badly on Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> he would be put in a position of having to explain why has he involved us in a in a in a war where the United States has no vital interests uh, uh, except avoiding its escalation into nuclear conflict. And yet his policies have brought us to the edge of a nuclear war with Russia, a crisis that's worse than the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. And I say worse because Kennedy had a five to one advantage over Khrushchev during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that relationship is, is, is more than reversed. Russia's got a 10 to one advantage over us in tactical nuclear weapons and probably has big advantages in strategic nuclear weapons because they're probably cheating on the New START Treaty and they have modernized their forces, whereas we have not modernized our forces. 
The other th reason I think that they're saying that is that the woke administration, uh, the Biden administration, is administration is the most anti-nuclear administration we've ever had, and they their belief system, their worldview is very similar to that. In fact, many of the same people who have served. Uh, professional lifetimes in the anti-nuclear movement are actually in the Biden administration as advisors. Biden has got a kitchen cabinet of anti-nuclear lobbying groups. Uh, the, the Congress of the United States, the Democrat Party, has an important part of its political base. Guys like Adam Smith, some of them who's the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, is himself obviously uh, an anti-nuclear activist. And these people, the reason, part of the reason, part and parcel of, of having this view is that they don't take seriously the idea that you could fight and win a nuclear war. They have uh, the mistaken belief that everybody thinks that way, uh, you know, that Putin has the same fears of nuclear war that we do, that they do, and, uh, and therefore uh, uh, it's not credible that Putin would cross the, the nuclear line. And so th that's the most dangerous kind of a combination we've got. And yet the Biden administration is doing things on the advice of, of, of these people that are that break precedent and are contrary to what past presidents have done. Uh, you know, for example, Kennedy, uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, one of the things that enabled him to prevail is that when the Russians on Khrushchev's side raised the readiness of their forces to threaten us, Kennedy did not leave that unanswered. He raised the readiness of our nuclear forces to DEFCON 2, which is one step short of actual preparedness for nuclear war, of an actual nuclear war. And that helped back Khrushchev down when President Bush in the aftermath of 9-11, you know, President Bush raised the readiness of our, of our strategic posture to DEFCON 3 to warn off Russia, China, anybody else who might be thinking of attacking us in that moment of crisis by that demonstration of strength. Uh, 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 Biden has done just the opposite in the face of Russia's nuclear threats, in the face of their stepping up the mobilization of their forces, this, 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 this special combat posture that, uh, that, that is basically one step removed from launching a surprise attack against us by keeping our forces unmobilized at DEFCON 5, which makes them more vulnerable to surprise attack. And on top of that, he has done other things in the midst of this crisis uh, that are extremely unwise, that, that suggest that the United States could at minimum be blackmail, nuclear blackmail, could encourage the Russians to actual nuclear use and nuclear escalation, believing that they could that they could resort to nuclear weapons to win the Ukrainian crisis. And if I could just name a few of those things, for example, he has suspended test launches of, of Minuteman 3 ICBMs uh, to de-escalate the situation. I mean, it's kind of ironic that on the one hand, they're saying there's no nuclear crisis with Russia, but on the other hand, they're acting as if they, as if they are. By, by, by saying, well, we're not gonna launch the Minuteman 3 ICBMs in these long scheduled tests. We've canceled these tests because we don't want to escalate the situation accidentally and get into a nuclear war. Uh, simultaneously, uh, by the classified version of Biden's nuclear posture review has been provided to Congress. And some of the provisions have leaked to the press. You know, Biden is, wants to cancel the B-83 nuclear bomb which is the most powerful nuclear weapon in the US inventory. It's the only nuclear weapon that's capable of having some chance of, 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 of uh, retaliating against 
guys like Putin or Xi or Kim Jong-un when they're in their deep underground command posts. It's our only nuclear weapon is a 1.2 megaton weapon uh, that could generate a shockwave powerful enough to possibly destroy those deep underground command posts. Well, let's let's talk about- He wants I, to I, 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 I want you to tick down your list, but let's talk about that underground bunker. I, I think you may have described me or somebody did. These, these are not your ordinary bunker. They're, they're vast, vast cavities house 20, 30,000 people, yes. um, you know, built during the hardest of the hard to cold, you know, coldest of the Cold War time and really prepared to have Putin and all his all his loyal people in there with him. Now, by by what evidence do we have? What, what reports are you getting from your your sources in the intelligence community that he is, in fact, one of the, in one of these bumpers I, bunkers? I've had two people tell me, oh, no, no, he's not. Uh, it's kind of kind of funny. You do one of these shows and you end up with uh, somebody on my chat or on my comment section said, well, I live in Russia and I live 100 kilometers away. And the bunker that you that you were speculating he may be in. Well, he's not there. Well, well, I don't know how they would know. And, I, and well, that's I can, my. Yeah. But it's interesting to see how many experts you've got. Uh, yeah. Surrounding and, I, and, I can't, and I can't speak to anything that the intelligence community has has said, uh, you know, I can only talk about unclassified open source stuff. All right. Uh, you know, but uh, uh, Putin wouldn't want you to know which bunker he's in because there's more than one. There are in fact hundreds of these deep underground facilities. He could be in any one of them. There are thousands of other shelters that are designed for mid-level military people uh, and, and for the civilian population. Even the subways in Russia have blast doors on them. So uh, they have, unlike us, they have a very good, very advanced civil defense system for their general population. Uh, just a few years ago in 2016, they did a, uh, a, a major civil defense exercise that endured well, 40 million people going into, in, into shelters like this. So, uh, uh, you know, we don't know which facilities in. Uh, it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't be in one. You know, uh, why wouldn't he be uh, being down in one of these deep underground facilities since they have declared a special combat alert and he hasn't been seen? Uh, it's the safest place for him to be. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't know for a fact that he's there, but it would be irrational for him not to be in one of these facilities. It's exactly the scenario we're in in Ukraine right now is exactly the scenario that these things were designed for, uh, you know, and uh, also he has the advantage of the command and control assets that exist in these deep underground facilities that are being mostly hundreds of meters under solid granite. And they're generally impervious to any nuclear attack the United States can make. Uh, the only weapon we have left in our inventory, our only megaton class weapon is the B-83 that might possibly be able to drive a shockwave down deep enough to, to uh, damage one of these deep underground facilities. And that's that, uh, that the Biden administration decision to cancel the B-83 is uh, an extremely imprudent thing to announce at this point to allow it to be leaked from the classified net nuclear posture review because the thing that would most likely de de deter someone like Putin or Xi in China or someone like Kim Jong-un is their personal survival. The ability to hold that leader at risk so that he would personally die you know, if he decided to launch a nuclear attack is the best deterrent. And the B-83 is the only thing that isn't, it's not a guarantee we could kill him with it even. You know, even the B-83 isn't probably, may not be powerful enough 
to uh, collapse one of these facilities. But it's the only one we've got that would have a chance of doing it. And Biden wants to get rid of the B-83. Well, uh, this is the Bill Walton Show, and I'm talking with Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, and we're continuing a conversation we've had in the last couple of months, actually, as we think back about the likelihood of Ukraine uh, provoking a nuclear war. Uh, Peter, I, I'm interested, though, also in your assessment about why Putin has conducted the war the way he has with mainly conventional strategies. He, it doesn't seem to be any real aggressive cyber warfare that's been that's been um, brought about. And, you know, I've heard various theories about this. And one of them is that he wants to try to capture Ukraine, you know, un, unscathed. Uh, another one is that they actually need the cyber connections for their own for their own uh, Russian forces. Uh, what's your take on how he's conducted it so far and, and what would his thinking be at this point? You know, uh, the, the fog of war is so thick over the battlefields of, uh, of Ukraine uh, that there are a number of other possible realities that are going on. Because as, I, as, I, as we said initially, you really can't trust what we're being told now about what's happening in Ukraine and, and that the Russians are losing and losing badly. Maybe they are, maybe that's the truth, but that truth is based almost entirely on what the Ukrainians are telling us. We don't have our boots on the ground. Uh, our intelligence sources are far removed. And as we all should, not, should remember, uh, it was less than a year ago that we had the experience of Afghanistan that, that proved that even when we do have our own boots on the ground and we have years to do intelligence assessments, and years of being able to study that ground, we can be completely wrong in our assessments as we were in Afghanistan, where we, where we were defeated by the Taliban quite easily. And, uh, and, uh, 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 and our assessment of, the, of, of, of that reality was completely in error. So we should not have, be highly confident in anything we're being told, uh, especially the optimistic scenarios, which we as a strategic culture are always most likely to embrace. The, the, optimistic scenario that, oh, the Russians are, are, are not 10 feet tall and, and, uh, and they're being beaten very badly in Ukraine, which ironically, based on the previous part of this conversation we were having, is actually not a best case scenario for us. The worse the Russians are off, the more likely they are to escalate. That's my fear. That's my fear. I think you back yeah. Putin into a corner. I think it makes the likelihood of using a, um, I guess, euphemistically a tactical nuke um, which is, I guess, just nuclear war writ small, but it's still nuclear and it's still uh, catastrophic. And it seems like that's more likely. Yes. Well, there are a lot of strange things that seem to have been done. If we're, uh, you know, uh, you know, where the where the Russians, the way they conducted the Ukraine war, have violated all the fundamental elements of their of their military doctrine. You know, they didn't uh, go for tactical and strategic surprise. You know, they only ta uh, uh, they attack. Uh, I uh, they attacked basically in the face of the West. You know, uh, uh, why didn't they do cyber attack? There might be several reasons for that. Uh, you know, the Ukrainian grid is also tied into its neighbors, uh, NATO member states, and uh, if if they blacked out the Ukrainian grid, it, it, perhaps they were concerned that it would have gone beyond and affected NATO member states, which would have made it an Article Five attack. And we had warned that, you know, a cyber attack that blacks out Poland, for example, as well as Ukraine, you know, would be considered an Article 5 and would justify 
NATO coming in. Although the Russians every year have demonstrated the ability to isolate their cyber attacks to Ukraine itself. Uh, so it's, it's, it is puzzling that they didn't do that. Perhaps they don't want to, uh, perhaps it's some, one, the same reason they haven't committed some of their best conventional forces. You know, for example, their best and most modern tanks haven't been committed to Ukraine. You know, they're using older models. They've got 20,000 tanks. They've only committed a small fraction of those forces. The Air Force has almost been absent without leave. You know, the, the, the Russian Air Force hasn't been sending in its best capabilities, and it's been doing a very limited capability. That was one of the reasons why uh, the, the government, our own Defense Department, assessed that, and our intelligence community original assessment was that Russia could overrun Ukraine in three days because they have such overwhelming air power you know, that they, they should have been able to unleash that air power and use it in Ukraine, but they didn't. And maybe it's po possibly because they don't want to expose to the West, you know, what their best capabilities are in, in cyber warfare, in conventional warfare, whether it's on the air, air or land. You know, there's another possibility here, another potential alternate reality that hasn't been uh, considered, you know, by anyone uh, except, you know, by myself, uh, you know, and that is uh, that's why that's why we're talking. <laughs> OK, uh, you know, uh, and that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, most analysts, when they were looking at that, including myself, uh, thought that the relevant scenario was the Crimea and that the Russians would go for a quick, almost bloodless victory. Uh, you know, but there was another Russian way of war that was right under our noses. And that was the uh, long protracted war that was going on in uh, in uh, eastern Ukraine, in, in, in Donetsk and Luhansk, for eight years, you know, basically this long, bloody, protracted guerrilla war. Uh, uh, that's another kind of a war that the way the Russians conduct war, the way they have done business in the Middle East as well, where, they, where these things are long and protracted. Maybe Russia didn't want a quick, bloodless victory, uh, you know, but wants to have a long, turn the Ukraines into sort of the Balkans, you know, uh, uh, Russia benefits uh, from uh, chaos. Uh, and, uh, you know, it raises the fears of NATO. Uh, it makes NATO more compliant when there's a when there's a conflict, because we dread wars and their escalatory possibilities. Maybe he deliberately wants this thing to go on and on because it, it, it will give him in the long run, uh, even though there's all of this uh, uh, noise coming out of nato that well we're going to spend more on defense they always say that you know but then in the long run they don't spend more on defense they're they're always willing to reach to reach accommodations with russia so uh, maybe he wants that thing to go on uh it also increases the price of oil it also uh makes uh, arms sales uh, russia's second greatest source of income is arms sales so when Russia creates the sense that the whole world is on the verge of World War III and uh, we've got chaos going on everywhere, it increases arms sales. Another possible scenario, and these are mutually, they're not mutually exclusive, but another possibility that's going on there is uh, the Spanish Civil War scenario. You know, before uh, Nazi Germany started World War II, you know, it blooded its troops in the, the Spanish Civil War, and it tested out its tactics and new weapons and the Spanish Civil War so that it would be sure everything worked. It used the Spanish Civil War as a way to weed out the, the worst officers. Uh, and that's what could be going on. Uh, you know, if Russia has aspirations to win World War III, maybe Ukraine is the equivalent of the Spanish so, Civil War for them. So and let, me, 
let me just run with that. So you're saying this could be the ultimate war game, which is extremely yeah. interesting. Uh, the other thing that's happened is that we're supposed to impose these crippling sanctions on Russia. And yes, that they've been hurt. Their GDP is probably going to drop, drop 10% this year. But the ruble, after plummeting, has now recovered. And they're still selling oil and gas. And they're beginning to broker deals to sell it. And I guess they've demanded that Germany pay uh, for its gas with rubles. And the head of one of the big chemical companies in Germany just recently said, look, if we don't, if we get cut off from Russian gas, the German economy is going to melt down. Yes. And so the European consumers, the, you know, the, uh, are, are paying a big price for the sanctions against Russia. And as our American consumers beginning to pay a big price, I mean, just wait till we get our our food, food prices are high now. Wait till next year because all the fertilizer comes out of uh, um, Russia or sourced largely with with Russian gas. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to grow crops if we don't get that. So that's a very interesting idea that they could be waging this war, grinding us down, making us pay the price economically. And in the end, they end up in a pretty good position. And there's another uh, possibility uh, that is uh, also equally interesting. And I call it the Austerlitz scenario. You know, the uh, Napoleon's greatest victory was the Battle of Austerlitz in 1805, much studied by the Russian general staff because, because they were a victim of the Battle of Austerlitz. Uh, you know, uh, it was uh, Napoleon had rushed his troops from France into Central Europe, uh, forced marches, to get there very quickly, uh, and uh, he faced the combined armies, the great, the greatest armies, land armies in Europe at the time, the combined forces of Russia, uh, Austria, and Prussia on the on the uh, battlefields of Austerlitz, and uh, Napoleon convinced his adversaries. The reason he achieved this great victory, he convinced them that he was losing, that he was going to lose the Battle of Austerlitz. Uh, you know, he sent defectors to tell them or we we went to, on this forced march. Our supply lines are overextended. You know, the, our guys are starving to death. Uh, we're really demoralized. Uh, he deliberately had whole regiments of French troops retreat and run away from the Russians. Everything to convince the other side that all they had to do was attack and uh, and they would win the Battle of Austerlitz. But he had hidden on the field divisions that they didn't know about. And when the Russians did attack, they were hammered. Uh, and uh, there was a famous part of the battle where the Russian army had to retreat out onto a frozen lake and Napoleon used his cannons to break up the ice and, and, and many, drown, many drowned. But it was that single victory uh, made Napoleon the master of Europe. Uh, and uh, it's possible, you know, when I look at what the Russians are doing, it's almost like they're deliberately doing everything they can to try to provoke the West to intervene, to jump into the, uh, jump into the war. You know, Americans abhor uh, adversaries who act like war criminals, who kill the innocent, you know, and the Russians just every day seem to do some new thing that is almost seems calculated to try to encourage us to intervene. Uh, you know, don't forget that this part of the world that's called the bloodlands, because during World War II, Russia was willing to sacrifice 30 million of its own of its soldiers, you know, to conquer this area from the from the from the Nazis. So Ukraine has been used as a killing field by them, you know, uh, as recently as, as World War II. Maybe they want us to intervene. Maybe they want the, the maybe the Ukraine war is not about taking over Ukraine, but.
but it's about using it as a gigant a battle of what Australis writ large, where they can have a final solution to the problem of NATO and the United States by encouraging us to project our forces. And our, we'd have a hard time getting our forces out if we lost. That's at the very edge of our ability to project power. Uh, you know, if we projected forces, our NATO allies in the United States into that area would be trapped in Ukraine, and then they could bring to bear their 10 to 1 advantage in tactical nuclear weapons and wipe us out and perhaps achieve a final solution to both of us. And even if we don't project our power in, this whole thing may be aimed, again, not at Ukraine, but at the destruction of the NATO alliance, because the, uh, the consequences, I mean, NATO has never really had to face up to a big war, you know? Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the consequences of this thing for NATO economically and in terms of their security, uh, are they going to really have the political will to increase their defense spending? I would say not, you know, because in the past, whenever all of these uh, promises have been made by NATO, like when they took Crimea, they, they, you know, uh, that we had the same reaction from NATO. And they said, yeah, now we understand Russia's the enemy. We've got to increase their defense spending, but they never do it. They're always used to the United States, you know, taking up the burden of their security for their defense. This could be uh, if they can't defeat us, if they can't get us to attack Ukraine and win World War III on the battlefield, uh, you know, by tactical nuclear weapons or unleashing those 20,000 tanks, they could win without war. And maybe that is their ultimate goal, you know, by just putting such stress on NATO we come to the realization that the NATO alliance is really a paper tiger, that it's hollow, that it's really a, a military alliance in name only. And, uh, and I think as this thing goes on, and you see the fractures in NATO grow and grow, because Germany, as you noted, is, doesn't, can't afford you know, to go without Russian oil. When, we're for, when our allies are forced to make these hard choices, and the American people see their, the prices going up on the, uh, on the, on the, uh, at the gas pumps, and we're starting to pay the price for it too, that people will say, well, you know, we can't go on doing this for years and years. Uh, you know, uh, you know we're, we're, uh, that, that's a way of destroying the NATO alliance without war. And uh, according to Sun Tzu, that's the greatest way of achieving victory. So that could be part of the calculation here too. It's really not about taking Ukraine that this whole thing right from the beginning might have been aimed at creating a long period of chaos in the center of Europe that's going to put such stress on the NATO alliance that the NATO alliance will come apart at the seams. Well, it's also putting uh, great stress in the global world order and yes. all the economic arrangements. And it's, it's, it's ultimately putting stress on the dollar's world reserve currency status. Uh, I mean, there are all sorts of tectonic plates that are shifting here that uh, are consequence of this. So this would mean that Putin is really still a chess player. There's some people I know and like, I won't get into who they are, who say, well, no, Putin's changed. He used to be more of a rational actor, and now he's behaving irrationally. But you just explained that this could be a very rational long-term game, that uh, he knows he can suffer some of these casualties or some of these these, these losses of the conflict, but in the long term, end up the winner. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't agree, and I see no evidence. I mean, the the, chi the chief evidence uh, that people offer for Putin's change that he's no longer a good chess player is the assumption that Russia has run into some disaster that threatens the Putin regime uh, in Ukraine, uh, and it's sort of a self, you know 
rationalizing explanation, uh, you know, and uh, but those those assumptions may not be true. Uh, I think it's much more likely that Putin has thought this out. His general staff has thought probably thought this out, and that and that this is probably he's just he's just he's still proving that he beats us at chess and that we're playing at checkers because we haven't thought deeply enough into the game and uh, 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 and we're 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 taking actions, especially where our nuclear deterrent is concerned. You know that 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 significantly increases the risk, the nuclear risk to us, especially if they're right that Putin is on the ropes. So we've got a couple of minutes here. Uh, where sh where should we go from here? Well, I still think, uh, and and it and it's a harder thing to do politically. You know, because uh, of the hatred that uh, that's a uh, of uh, uh, Putin and the belief that he's a war criminal and, uh, and all the rest. But what I, what I think Biden should do uh, is, uh, uh, if I were president, uh, I would immediately uh, put our nuclear forces at least on DEFCON 3 and mobilize them and do what every other president has done in the past so that our forces are less vulnerable to a nuclear Pearl Harbor. I would simultaneously use all communications means. And by the way, that's another thing we haven't even talked about. The Putin isn't returning phone calls from the White House, the general staff is talking to our Pentagon, their Minister of Foreign Affairs, they basically stopped communicating with us. That isn't the action of a country that's badly losing a war and is desperately seeking an exit. You know, if that were true, they would be talking to us to find a way of getting out and negotiate a solution. So I would raise the uh, I would raise the DEFCON level, mobilize our forces simultaneously. I would communicate by all means, you know. That are that are remaining to tell them we don't want a nuclear war. The only reason we're going to a higher readiness level is because you've mobilized your forces and you've left us no choice but to mobilize our forces. You know, for the interests of humanity and for the interests of both of our nations, uh, you know, we need to stand down our nuclear forces and we need to bring the Ukraine war to an end right now and have a ceasefire agreement, an immediate ceasefire in Ukraine, and we will negotiate with you on the basis of the peace treaty that you offered before you invaded Ukraine. That peace treaty, uh, contrary to what the Biden administration says, had many reasonable points in it. And we, we could have negotiated, I think, a peace with, with Russia. And we have an interest in doing that because we, the, we have forgotten that our real object uh, is the new Cold War with China and that Russia and China together and this alliance includes not just Russia and China, but includes North Korea and Iran. They are the most powerful, most formidable power block, you know, that we have ever faced in our history. And I don't think we can defeat the Sino-Russian alliance. Uh, we need to split it up and try to make Russia a neutral or, or even a strategic partner. And a step in that direction would be meeting the security guarantees. And they do have some legitimate interests in terms of uh, what the, the peace treaty uh, th that was offered, uh, to, to hit the reset button again with Russia to see if we could bring them into our camp or at least make them a neutral in the, uh, so that we could isolate China in the, uh, in, in the new Cold War. It would be a, a significant step forward toward, uh, toward achieving a diplomatic victory. And it would, it, would, it would bring Russia and China back from the military brink, you know, both the aggression of both countries, I think, is based in no small part on the fact that Russia has such a nuclear advantage over the United States. 
It encourages China to be aggressive because their aggression is protected by a Russian nuclear umbrella. And of course, it encourages Russia to think it can intimidate and win by blackmail and do whatever it wants because it's protected by its own nuclear forces. So isolating China from that would turn the competition between East and West back to the diplomatic and economic level and pull us back from the brink of a World War III. We're on the edge of that right now in Europe and in Asia. Well, I would that you were be president, or at least advising our president. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Joe Ghost Gun Biden at the helm at the moment, who's a distinctly unserious and and uh, you know it's it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to express in words how dismaying he is and how I think that our ability to bring to bear this kind of rational outcome and 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 you're right we ought to be working to de-escalate this talking with russia they won't take our calls i mean yes we're and that's... we're doing just the opposite we're feeding weapons into it we're yeah the biden administration is taking the worst possible position you know we're not willing to defend ukraine but we're willing to fight to the death of the last brave ukrainian and just keep <laughs> and, and kill as many russians as we can in the process to punish russia uh, uh, as if Russia is not uh, a nuclear threat to us, when in fact they are, uh, you know, and it's not just the president, but the whole administration, you know, because these people, uh, you know, you look at who he has put in charge uh, and who he trusts from, whether it's General Miley, uh, the, one of the worst chairmen we've ever had of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or Wendy Sherman, and, 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 and Tony Blankley uh, there in, in the State Department, they're, these people, when you look at their backgrounds, uh, you know, they, they, they are not competent people. These are not Henry Kissingers and, uh, you know, that we have in charge of our foreign and defense policy. They're some of the worst people, you know, that we've ever had. And that, of course, is another reason why Russia and China are on the move right now, you know, because they, they, they see that the, they understand that the fish rots from the head down. And we've got some of the worst political military leadership this country has ever had. Uh, and as evidenced by what happened to us in Afghanistan, you know, which was a failure, not just of diplomacy, but of, mili of, of the military as well, that we couldn't even pull off Afghanistan successfully. Well, Peter, thank you. Uh, sobering, but I think very useful. And let's let's plan on on talking again in another three, four, five, six weeks if we're, if we're all still alive. Uh, and that, and the, the the worst case scenario doesn't come about, but I think this is an extremely useful way to think about it, and I want to get this uh, this line of thinking out there. So thanks, Peter. Thank you so much for having me, and I I seriously share your concern about whether we're going to be around three, four, five, or six weeks. Uh, this is uh, I think the gravest nuclear crisis this country has ever undergone. But thank you again for having me. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and thanks for joining the Bill Walton Show. And I know this has been a sobering assessment, but uh, I hope you're here for just that, because we've got to find out what's true, what's right, and what's next. And uh, in this case, there's a lot at stake. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back for more. And uh, again, uh, wish you well. Thanks. I, I don't think anybody's, I haven't heard anybody talk about the idea that this could be a protracted, a, 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 an opportunity for Russia to draw us in to something protracted, destroy right. the European economy while exposing the fact they're not really a military coalition and uh, and, and really rule the day in, uh, 
in um, in that part of that part of the world. Yeah, people don't understand that the Russian way of war, uh, uh, that there's another option for it. You know, they think the, uh, the the Russian strategic culture is exactly like ours, and that we want quick, relatively bloodless victories, the way Crimea was, or the way the Persian Gulf War went. But right under our noses, you know, what Russia has been doing in eastern Ukraine for eight years is as as evident, and what they you know, the, the trouble they've stirred up in the Middle East that's going on and on and on. You know, there's clearly this other approach that they take, and they know we're extremely vulnerable to it. You know, we don't do protracted wars very well at all. Uh, our will, political willpower for it, it doesn't last. We're always anxious to reach accommodations and, and to surrender. Yeah. Even the Taliban were able to beat us that way. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll be talking. I've got Mike, uh, Waller coming in tomorrow. We're going to talk about the, uh, the state of our intelligence, uh, uh, industry. Okay. That's a bad, bad news story too. <laughs> That's another bad news. I'm just filled with them. Anyway, got to be reality based. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.